Welcome to the Powering Real Estate Podcast, sessions with top real estate business leaders and their strategies for success. Learn from some of the best in the industry. Join Lee Adkins as he talks to industry leaders on how they built and maintain their real estate business. Hey, Emily. Thanks for uh, joining me today. I'm excited to dig in with you. Hey, Lee. I am super excited to be a guest on your show today. Yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate that. You are uh, way high up on my list. One of the first call. That's really kind. I appreciate that. Well, Emily, tell us a little bit about what you do. I know you're the COO of Weimert Group Realty in Orlando. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what you do now and then just how you got here. Sure. So um, I've been on the team six and a half years down here in Orlando, like Lee said, and uh, our team is on track this year to serve over a thousand families together for, we're hoping around 362 million um, with an average price point of 335. So really, truly wish we had a higher price point and could do less, less units down here. But, um, but we're excited to be able to do this together. My role as COO, I, I, work with our staff, I work on our systems, I work with our marketing team, I'm kind of our team leader's right hand as far as helping set the vision, but then also getting to sit firmly in that implementer seat. And um, it's fun to be in both seats. That's great. And what did you do before this crazy real estate business? So I owned a wedding photography studio um, in Michigan, and we made a transition to Florida a little over 10 years ago. And I got a little tired of flying back and forth on an airplane every weekend and um, stumbled into a a relationship with Jenny Wiemert, who is the team leader of our brokerage, and stepped in as photographer on the team. And then very quickly kind of moved into our marketing director seat. And I just slowly kept taking pieces over the years that eventually landed me in the operations seat for the brokerage. So kind of a weird path. I think most of us coming into real estate have a weird path, actually. So lots of great stories in the industry out there. But super fun. I get to use all of my weird gifts and I get to do things that I never would have imagined going together in a job. But it's what keeps my world fun and keeps it moving and keeps me motivated to keep serving my team at a really high level. That's great. I, I love that. It makes perfect sense, actually. And I don't think any of us have a, a, a real uh, straight path to, to where we ended up or where, where we are now, at least. So one of the things that really strikes me about you, you have lots of talents and lots of operational talents, but I think your know, talent to me is one of the strengths uh, of your guys' company. So let's talk a little bit. Let's start, I guess, first more with the hiring side of things. So bringing on staff. But how do you guys attract talent or how do you find talent to come uh, come work with you? That's a really good question. I know that seems to be like a hot topic in the industry right now. Where do you find these great people to come be a part of what you're trying to build? And so for us, I think it always starts with um, having clarity and a vision for where you're going. So maybe not where you're going in five years or where you're going in 10 years, but where are you going in this next season? So what are your needs right now? What are the holes you can identify that when you think ahead in your business to where your business is kind of, of looking to you know grow into in the next six months to a year, how do you hire ahead? So for us, we've always said we hire more agents when we have enough leads that we can feed families. We're a rainmaker model uh, team. And so for us, having enough leads and being able to make good on our promise to take care of those families of the agents that we're bringing in is it has to come first. So we look at our leads and say, do we have enough? And then we look at the staff and say, okay, well, if we're going to hire five more agents to you know, take care of these leads, do I have enough staff in place 
to be the right support and to provide that, you know, excellent care, you know, and service level that we want to provide to every agent that joins the brokerage. Because our, our goal is for us as leadership and as a staff is to care for our agent base, just like they're our clients. And then we want our agents to in turn go out and care for the client base in the same manner so that um, there's just that lots of love all around. That's perfect. I love that. Yeah, you guys are, are pretty staff heavy and uh, it works really well. Can you talk just a little bit to that part of your model just for context? Yeah, of course. So um, on our team right now at this point in history, there are 81 of us on the team and I have 59 agents in the field and the rest is staff. And we realized a long time ago that if we could highly leverage our staff uh, or leverage our agents with our staff, that um, the agents could go out and serve more families at a high level because they could focus on the parts of the job that they're very good at. And then they, we could give them the leverage on the parts of the job that an agent is typically maybe not going to excel at. And so in our world, that looks like marketing help. It looks like um, transaction coordination help. It looks like having um, a director of agent services on the ground who is helping making sure that they're clear on what the expectations are with their database or what they could be doing if they're not generating a lot from their database. It's super important to us that agents learn how to leverage that database early on in their career and learn how to maximize those relationships. Because for me, the stability in the business comes from building relationships along the way. So we spend a lot of time in our hiring process, which I know is kind of what we're focused on here today, talking to agents about the types of building um, types of business that they want to build because we want folks that want to come in and build a strong repeat referral business. And so in our world, we teach them by year three, like we will help you build the database, we'll provide the leads, but by year three, we're really hoping that we've coached you into figuring out how to do 50% repeat referral. And so we're super proud this year as a team that our over a thousand families served, we're over that 50% repeat referral as a team, which is huge. So really, really excited about that. So as Rainmakers, it's our job to keep the leads coming in to help all of those new agents build that database and also to help the agents that have the databases where maybe it's dried up for a minute or folks aren't raising their hands be able to go back to the well. But it's also our job to pair that with a lot of hands-on training on how to nurture, how to cultivate, and how to get the most from that database that they've worked so hard to build. Yeah, that that's brilliant. I love that. And something strikes me in, in you saying that is obviously you're looking for a complementary red different personalities than an agent and staff, right? Like you're looking for kind of two sides, two sides of the brain, maybe for lack yeah. of a better term. But yeah, it makes perfect sense. And to your earlier point of having that clarity of what are you looking for? What's, you know, part personality for sure, part skill set, uh, I guess part background, which I guess ties into skill set. But you know, there's all those pieces of that. So what are you looking for when you're when you're looking for a culture fit or a personality fit? Yeah, great question. Um, grit was the word I'd add to your list right there too. Like, are they willing to go do the work? So in my world, we we call each other we mates and not teammates. So when I am hiring, I'm first and foremost looking for a culture fit. Um, and I'm asking, do they fit what a we mate looks like, sounds like, acts like, cares like? And let me be clear, like we're not an army. We don't force people to act or look a certain way. It's more it's more of character-basedness. So it's, you know, for us, do, are they a team player? Always we, never I. Will they do the right thing for the client every single time on behalf of the team? Will they take care of the other agent on the other side of the deal, even if that agent is a part of our brokerage? It's we, never I. 
We look at it as collaboration. And then are they a master of their craft or are they willing to stay in that learning-based you know, mindset of wanting to go be a master of their craft? Are they accountable for their actions? Do they have a teachable spirit? So is this an agent that's been in business for 15 years and thinks they know everything? Or are they very similar to our team leader, Jenny Weimer, who asks you know, the most amount of questions every time she sits through a training because she realizes even after 20 something years in the business, there are things she just doesn't know. And so being teachable, we look for our, our WeMates have to be um, encouragers. And so they have to elevate others. That's our E in WeMates. And that means, you know, when you're frustrated with the agent on the other side of the deal, are you bad mouthing them or are you helping and, or the title agent or the more, you know, whoever, um, but we're going to elevate others. And then the last in WeMates is solution based. So I don't mind folks spotting problems. In fact, I love when folks spot problems and point them out as long as they want to come to the table with, you know, hey, I've thought about this and I, here's a possible solution or, hey, I've thought about this and there are no solutions. Can you think of one? So when I sit across someone, whether they're an agent or a staff member, those are the qualities that are in mind. And I, I ask questions in the interview and our process um, is designed around uncovering whether or not that person first and foremost fits the WeMate creed. That's great. I, I love that. It makes perfect sense. What is that process? How do you whittle down? That's a really good question. So I think first and foremost, have a process, right? So for those of you right. listening that don't have a process, there's your action point for step today. One. Step step one. Is, I always say you don't even need a good plan, you just need a plan. Just have a plan, right? And you can fix it as you go, right? So start with a plan and then evaluate, did this work for me or did it not? So our current process is that um, we have a hiring form on our website that we require every person to fill out. And the reason is that you can tell a lot by a hire based on what information they fill out the time they take to fill it out and whether or not they give you all of the pieces that you've asked for. Now, depending on what I'm hiring for, I'm watching for different things. So if I'm hiring a, a person for a seat in my office as a staff member that needs to be highly technical or detail oriented, if their beginning application is not appear that they have those skills, then they're probably not a good fit for that role. So that's it's a little bit of a stopgap hurdle right off the start. For agents, we're asking questions in that initial onboarding, like why would you like to be a part of a team? Why would being, being a part of a team like matter to your business? Why would that be a benefit? So just seeing what they have to say and how they answer. Do they take the time to write paragraphs? Are they writing like a quick sentence on that? And just using that to uncover more as you start to meet with them in person. So we start with a, a written form that comes into the system and then they get a call from our director of agent services and our director of agent services just does a quick phone call with them this is something that we take them by surprise we don't tell them this isn't scheduled she just calls because i want to see how they do just being surprised as an agent in the field you have to be client ready all the time to take a call and then from there if she feels like they're still a good fit then we go ahead and move them into in-person interviews and typically they go through two in our office and if you're listening to this and you're like holy smokes that sounds really exhausting on hiring you have to know that we make promises to our team that we are only going to hire really good fits for the team because i want the trust between the team to exist that if we've made a hire we really believe that this person is going to a be a great we mate and be going to be a good partner for them in the field and represent the brand kind of accordingly. So in our world, we always say you can't just fog a mirror and come in. We don't just take anyone that's licensed. We're 
a little bit particular about how that goes. And then with staff, the process is very similar. Um, they go through the form, they go through a call. It's not typically with Jay-Z, it's typically with me. I don't typically put them, like I don't do it as, as like a surprise. I typically schedule those calls and do like a, a phone interview to start. And then if it's a fit, we bring them in and we do an interview and I will bring in other staff members into that interview process because I'd like to know if they're seeing something I'm not seeing. And we want the staff environment to feel comfortable and healthy, and we want folks to want to work together. So involving others from your organization in your hiring process brings empowerment, number one, to people already in their seats because they feel involved and included and like they're getting to help decide whether or not this person is a fit. But number two, it will help with, you know, the dynamics of your work environment when you do make those hires, because occasionally someone does see something that I don't see in, in the hiring process. And then we're able to figure out whether or not that fit works or not from the start. Yeah, that, that's perfect. I think that is really important. Not, not to mention they're potentially building rapport with the person if the person does join. So then when they come in, they already know a couple of people in the office before they, before they have even started. So Yes, for sure. That's great. I love that. And to your point, I want to just dive a little deeper into the, you know, because I agree with you. I'm sure there are people that are like, wow, that sounds like a lot. But number one, such an important thing. It's incredibly painful if you get it wrong. You're going to spend a lot of time fixing it if you don't get it right. And to be fair, the form saves a lot of time, right? Like if somebody fills out the form and they're not, you know, even worth a follow-up call or certainly an in-person meeting, you know, it's actually not, it's a lot more setup maybe, but it's not necessarily a lot of time um, for each person, but that's kind of the whole, kind of the whole point. I think so. And to that point, we do call every person that comes in, whether we can tell right away they're a fit or not, because yeah. we are at the core of it, trying to protect the brokerage's reputation. So right. in your hiring process, if you're going to let people down, at least have to me, have the courtesy to go ahead and say, I'm so sorry, not a fit right now, whether that's just an email or someone makes that call, like have that be a part of your process. I can't tell you the number of people that have responded to us over the years and said, thank you so much for at least letting me know. And you have to remember you're a real estate company. And so, you know, those referrals or those folks when they have to buy or sell, or if they have people in their lives, even if they didn't necessarily get the job, you want them to have a great taste in their mouth still for who you are as a company. They were considering wanting to work for you. So they, there was some attraction from the start, right? But it's really important that you finish well with people, whether you're bringing them on or whether you're saying, I'm so sorry, this isn't the right opportunity. For sure. It makes perfect sense. Whether it's a co-op or you end up, you know, volunteering with them somewhere or whatever. There's no reason to ever have another agent, you know, saying, oh, I know those guys, they, you know, they're not cool or they never got back to me or, or, or whatever that is. So. Yeah. I just a quick story on that. I ran into someone yesterday at an event I was at in town that was an agent that had interviewed with us that ultimately she decided that she, there was a different fit for her. And when I saw her, I made it a point to go up and say hi and ask her how the new brokerage was. And, and she said, I'm so glad you came up to say hi. I was just feeling so awkward and I really like you guys and I want to be Jenny Weimer when I grow up, but I just, you know, it was feeling awkward. So to me as humans, if we can remember that these are people on the other side of those forms and to treat them well and to treat them as such, it just, it brings respect to both you and to your company ac across the, across time. It's important. 
For sure. I think that that's a great point. I mean, this business said and done, as many agents as there all are, it's still a pretty small business. So the chances you're going to run into some of these people in the future, you know, it's it's worth it's worth a quick call or an email to say, hey, you know, sorry, this didn't work, but we're here. You know, we're here yeah. in the future. I hope I wish you well. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. So I think, you know, a lot of people, as you mentioned, obviously, recruiting and hiring is a pretty hot topic in the business. And it's the best way to leverage and scale, obviously. But you can find all the talent in the world. If you don't have a plan for their first day or even prior to their first day or setting them up for success, it's great. You know, we're not just doing this to get agent count. We actually want people to come in and and be productive and be a good fit and have a good experience, you know, if, if nothing else. So I know you guys are really strong on onboarding. What's your overall onboarding philosophy before we get into the details? So same as hiring, it's have a plan, right? And the plan can change. It can shift based on who you're bringing in. That's actually been one of the hardest things that we've had to figure out over the last year is, okay, this group of agents is, you know, a mix of experience versus new. So how do we create an onboarding plan that is going to work for every person at the table that's coming in and is also not going to overtax our staff because they're having to teach to different levels Um, Or maybe this group is all experienced, and so that makes the path a little easier, or all new, and so again, all easier. But the mixed groups have been really tough to try to figure out those pieces for. So we try to keep our onboarding um, nimble. So every time we do a new onboarding class, we stop and ask afterwards, okay, what went well? What didn't go well? We're asking the agents, like, what was valuable to you? What feels valuable to you? And then we're going back to those that onboarded six months ago and a year ago and saying, okay, you've been here six months now, think back to your onboarding and think through what parts of that you've used, you know, what's valuable, what should we keep, what should we get rid of, et cetera. And then we do that again after their first year. And some of the feedback that's come back from that has been a little eye-opening because stuff that we thought was super valuable was stuff that several agents, you know, have come back and said, no, I didn't need that. Or you could get rid of this fluffy part. And, you know, I could have used more training on X, Y, and Z. So I know that wow. didn't really answer your direct question no, that's about what our process looks like, no, but I, I think it's important. On that, to be honest with you, like how, how did you do that? Was it a face-to-face meeting or a survey or how did you ask? So here in our world, we do check-in meetings with our agents every six months and um, at the end of the year for every single agent on the team, not just new ones. So if they're newer on the team, it just is there. It's a set of questions that gets put into those face-to-face um, interviews with them. And those are important. Your agents need to be heard and their opinions need to be, they need to be validated. And so they often see things from a completely different perspective. Um, And especially those of us that sit in the office and build systems, like it's important to remember to hear from your agents on their pain points and their pain points with technology specifically, because the way they use it and how they have to use it from the field versus someone sitting at a desk is completely different. So, and then to hear from them too on their goals, right? Like where are they going? Where do they see their own business going and not making assumptions on their behalf. So the joke is that we have an agent that um, on the team sells 24 every single year. He has sold 24 homes every year since I've been on the team. And last year I was like, could you just do 25? Like, please, like just one more. And he said to me, no, I want to pick my daughter up from school. Like to me, winning in this business is doing my 24 year 
And this year with price points, that 24 is a lot nicer than it's ever been. So it works out in his favor. But I just, what what is winning for me is picking her up. And that's, that is the stuff that comes out in those meetings that you don't typically get to hear if you're just, you know, elbow to elbow in the office or grabbing coffee between meetings. Like that stuff doesn't come up. And especially if you only ask once. I mean, the thing is, that's part of the dialogue and the culture. You can't send them a survey that's like, hey, what's most important to you? Yeah. Correct. Or they'll just, you know, give you a fluffy sentence. And we're really investing in your agent's goals and asking them, what is working here for you? What is not working here for you? Um, and back to the the subject of the onboarding and the hiring piece, asking those questions about trainings is super important because it shapes how we're going to do those things for the next group of agents coming in the door. So I think number one, have a plan. Number two, audit the plan and remember it needs to stay nimble so that you can bring as much value as you can to every new class of agents coming through. Our onboarding right now for agents lasts about two weeks, which is a huge time commitment. So in the hiring process, we are very, very upfront about what that's going to look like. Because if someone has been in business for 10 years and you tell them you're going to have to sit through a two week training, they need to know why. And they need to know what value is going to be added to their world for them to feel okay giving up two weeks of their time to sit through trainings. Now, they're not all day, every day. So it's not two solid weeks, but it's it's a lot. And they all look super tired on Friday after that first week because it's a lot of lot of energy and a lot of like brain collection. Um, we always tease them like you need your file folders, like start putting these in your brain tabs, you know, in your file folders. But it's we've tried to make sure that it's super valuable. It's going to be stuff that's either going to add a tool or a technology piece that's going to change their world and leverage them. Or we're bringing in really high level agents from our own organization that are going to inspire them to think bigger about how to approach this next season. Right. That makes sense. And and I know enough about your process too, that it's not, I mean, I think some people may kind of conjure an image of like sitting in front of a whiteboard for 10 hours. Like it's definitely not that you've got other people, you got agents, you got other staff, people they're going to interact with coming in. I mean, there's definitely, you know, a flow I just think sometimes people hear that and they just have this vision of like, yeah, yeah that's no PowerPoint. <laughs> no, for example, we have a training going on this week actually for five new agents in our office. And yesterday they did a training on MLS search and hidden inventory in the morning. And then they spent the afternoon out on a field trip and they were they went to an actual home and they learned how to use their e-key, open the door. They um, we have an inspector meet them out at the home and the inspector teaches them like how do you read the air conditioner tag? How do you how do you look like the expert when you're going through these homes with your client as a brand new agent? So when they say, How many homes have you sold? and you say, uh, none or two, that you have tips and tricks in your tool bag to make it really look like you are the master of your craft early on. And and those things make a huge difference. So it's it's providing us a, uh, a really deep level of training to make sure that, you know, if I'm going to put on the website that we have all trusted real estate experts here, we have to craft our agents into being trusted real estate experts so that I feel comfortable and we feel comfortable sending them out into the field with real families to serve. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the other thing too, that obviously I think we made clear, but I just want to state overtly is that you are doing this in a group or you referred to as a class. So it's not, I think people worry a lot about that. They feel like they're always onboarding. Like even if you get good at recruiting and even if you have a pretty good onboarding plan, now suddenly you're all, oh, I just finished onboarding this guy. Now I got another person. And I know by the same token, real estate agents 
typically aren't like, oh, I'm going to join a new company next month. It's more like, hey, I'm ready to go. Yeah, like so tomorrow, you, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So how how do you, one, do you tee that up? And how, two, I guess, does the, the class affect work versus always onboarding? Yeah, that's a great question. So we've shifted how we've done this over the years multiple times. We used to do it one at a time as they come through the door. And then we realized that that was really difficult and really, really taxing on the staff. Um, and then we were missing things in the onboarding process because someone would cancel their session or need to shift around and we'd never get back to it. And so just for stability in our world, we said, okay, we need to go to more of a classroom type setting and we need to make sure that we have those dates pre-picked ahead. So when we finish one class, the next one goes on the calendar. And then as people, as we're interviewing, I know what date I'm looking at for a new class. And if I needed to move someone quickly into the brokerage that's an experienced agent, I have the ability to say, listen, you can come in and I can teach you, we can teach you one off our technology so that you have the ability to write a contract and turn it in and you'll know what that looks like. However, you're still required to sit through these classes and they start in two weeks. And we just create the upfront expectation that that's what's going to happen. If they're a brand new agent, unlicensed or getting licensed and they would like to come in the door, it's it's really hard for us to say yes to a brand new agent. They have to be like an extreme, we have to have extreme confidence that this person is going to make it in the, in the business because it takes a lot of effort to get a brand new agent up and running. But when we, when we find them and we onboard them, they are not allowed to start until they go through the two week training. And then they're assigned a mentor from the start. They're not in the field on their own. And they know that from, from their hiring process. Um, we have a lot of folks that knock on the door and say, it's worth it. I'll wait. I'll do it. Because they realize there's a process and they see the, the quick success stories from folks that come in and go through that path. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And that's actually what I was about to ask you next is what is, I know there's some structure in that. What is that structure? Whether is it a certain number of deals with a mentor or how, how does that all work? So it depends on what we've worked out with them ahead. Um, our typical model is that they'll come in and they'll work at least five deals with a mentor first on both the buy side and the list side. So those are separate. So five buy side and five list side, um, because it takes about that many to get, you know, really good at your tools, to really get good at pricing, to really make sure that you know exactly what you're looking for, depending on the side of the deal that you're you're working on. And they work very, very closely with that mentor. There's a percentage attached to that. They know it up front. And so, and again, it's all negotiated. So it's not like I could tell you a specific percentage, but, um, but again, it's all established up front. We have a mentorship contract that they sign, both the mentor and the mentee. And the mentor on our team goes through a training with us to, to talk to them about how do you coach this person? How do you talk to this person? How many times a week do you have to talk to this person? Like, what's the minimum expectation, right? Because most agents do not get into this business either in ever dreaming of coaching someone else or bringing someone along right, right next to them. They don't know how to do it. Some, some do, but the majority don't. So we've just set up some guidelines for them and said, here, this is what we've seen work. And then our director of agent service is, is checking in with both the mentee and the mentor. And that's super important that you have someone watching. It's that whole inspect what you expect piece. Um, and you have to do that in this process because there are humans involved in a chaotic business. And so you want to make sure that the mentor is feeling like they're offering all the right value pieces and that, you know, they're being listened to and that the mentee is taking their advice. And then from the mentee's perspective, you want to make sure they're actually getting the help that the mentor is promising you that they're doing. Cause sometimes they're like, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I talked to him. And then the mentee's like, they never answer my calls. They don't help. Like 
it's the balance. So it's staying in control of that. And is that an opt-in process or do they, to be a mentor, do you have to like cross a certain level of production or number of years at the company or? Typically it's a, um, it's an ask from our end. So somebody from our leadership crew will identify like, Hey, we have this agent coming in. This is their personality type. This is, you know, the type of agent we kind of foresee them being. And then we look at our agent base and go, okay, who would be a good match for this person and who has capacity in their business right now beyond being a good match that could actually take someone on in the season and do a good job for them. And then we approach that agent individually and say, Hey, we think you're amazing. And we think you'd be a great fit for this new agent coming in. Would you take a call with them and just talk about that? And, and we let the agent make the decision themselves if it's a good fit or not. So they're doing the exploratory work to decide if they think that's something that they would want to do. That's great. I, I love that. I think, um, you covered a lot there. Part of me wants to go deeper on that. And part of me is like, you know, let people process that. And, but you said something early I wanted to, to circle back to. You said, you mentioned looking ahead, both with staff and agent count and, and kind of, I guess, related as well. Like if you're going to add agents, you want to have the staff to do that. I know that's a huge pain point for lots of people. I know that in a role as the COO of a company that's got 80 plus people in it, a huge part of your job is to look ahead. I'm not saying that makes it any easier, but obviously what would you say to somebody who's not quite as big as you guys? Cause obviously, you know, at your level, you probably are focused. Obviously you're in the tactical, but you're focused on next year. But how does somebody kind of get from like medium sized or, 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 like a larger, small group to be able to look ahead. I know that sounds like pie in the sky to a lot of people, you know? No, I think that's a great question. Um, I think it's just stopping and evaluating where are you at right now? And then thinking ahead on what would it take to get to that next level? And that next level can be something different. It could be units. It could be a different price point. It could be volume. It could be, in it. and then asking what is it going to take to get there? So it's, starting with the end in mind of what is it I'm reaching towards. So in our world, and this works whether you're small, medium, or big, I, I believe, but we meet with our agents and we ask them, like, what are your goals for this year? And we have a, we have a spreadsheet that our broker, Mike, has developed um, that helps them work backwards. So if I would like to make X amount of dollars this year, how many homes at what price point with, you know, two and a half percent commission or three, hopefully three percent, but what would that take? Right. And so from there, they can say, well, I would like to do 25 or I'd like to do this or I'd like to do that. And we add up all those numbers and we look at those numbers and we say, OK, that's the goal this year for the brokerage. And then if we say, but as a brokerage, we'd really like to be 200 units above that or we'd like to be 40 units above that. Or if you're like, oh, that's a lot. I don't want to be 10 units above that. That's fine. But that that's where you're trying to go. So now you're looking at the gap and going, if we were to do that, how many more transaction coordinators would I need? Or can I change my technology to better leverage the transaction coordinators I already have in order to make this work? Or, okay, if we're now aiming at this number, how many more agents is it going to take for me to get to that number based on the goals that the ones that are currently here just shared with us? And that's really how we do it. And we've done it that way since we were smaller all the way. I mean, I was team member number 19 and now we're 81. So we've been doing it that way for years and years and it's allowed us to scale, but you have to do it 
purpose. It's that plan piece, right? Stop and make the plan, have the end in mind, and then work to the middle of, okay, what do I need to do in the middle to accomplish this, this big end goal that I'm, I'm looking towards? And hiring ahead is scary. Like we should probably just say that. Like it's really difficult, especially for a small to medium sized business to want to hire ahead because the fear there of like, what if it's not there? What if the business doesn't come? What if I can't generate that? Like I, I have a lot of compassion for that because there is a lot of fear there. But be bold, take the risk, work, work towards the end in mind. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, that's the thing. I saw a quote recently. I won't even try to paraphrase it, but that really is the key is to do the work, take a calculated risk, you know, hedge your bets where you can. But the reality of it is, is anybody's story that's worth hearing or worth telling, there's always some, hey, I had to, you know, move across the country and start over or, this life event happened to me or half the team left, or there's always some moment that triggers that, you know, either from a decision perspective, like you mentioned, the market's always changing. I mean, there's all these pieces, but yeah, just having that plan and auditing the plan. Did this work? Will this get us to the next level? Um, let's talk a little bit about that, about leadership team. I know you guys have a core, but growing leadership team, like how, how do you define that? And kind of how does that work inside a Weimar group? So that's an interesting question. So we had a, like a board, so to speak, and we disbanded our board this year and have decided to kind of go about this a little differently. Um, and so leadership for us around here is, is an interesting concept because you have those of us with titles of leadership. So you have our broker and then his wife, Jenny, who's our team leader and then the CFO and I. But I really believe that if you are on staff or an agent here, you are in leadership. And so we teach, you're gonna lead from your seat and we expect you to lead from your seat. We want you to lead from your seat. And so everyone's ideas are equally valued. And when we created a board with the idea of like, okay, hey, these are gonna be the certain people that bring the ideas back or are listening to their teammates it did more harm than good in our world because it cut off folks from speaking up because they felt like they had to go to the board or they had to wait for the board and it didn't it didn't make sense with our values so the values of being a WeMate means that everyone has an equal voice at the table and that you, it is super important that you're here whether you do you know 20 deals a year or you're a 30 million dollar producer or you're a staff member we need every single person here and I, so it's changed the perspective maybe on what we would call like our leadership board because it doesn't exist in the traditional form. And that's where those mid-year and end-of-year meetings become incredibly important with an open-door policy that they can call anytime. Like an agent doesn't have to wait till a six-month meeting to call and be like, hey, I see a system problem or, hey, I'd like to talk to you about, you know, whatever, X, Y, and Z. They can call anytime and have those conversations. That's so great. And I, I like, I mean, kind of back to the auditing concept. I like that you guys went for that. And I like that you were in a position to admit like, hey, that didn't work. Because when you said that, I thought the same thing. It's going to go one of two ways. It's either amazing because you've empowered more leaders or it creates a divide where some people are like, wait, I'm not on the leadership team. You right. know, I thought I was. Right. Well, and trying to tell folks like you can lead from your seat no matter what your title is. 
what gifts do you have? Like, what can you use to move everything forward in your world? No matter your title. I, I joined this team as the photographer. Right. When people hear that I went from photographer to COO, I'm sure they have questions because they're like, what? Like, why? Right. what qualifies you to be the COO of Weimer Group Realty? But it's just that willingness to lead from your seat and grab the pieces around you and fix problems. We tell folks here, you're not allowed to say, I just work here. You're not allowed to say, like, that's not my job because it's everyone's job. Like, if the paper towels in the bathroom need to be refilled, like, we refill the paper towels. I've seen Mike Weimer refill the paper towel. Like, just do what you need to do to move the business forward. And I think it changes the landscape of, of the business. And it gives people buy-in to wanting to build with you because they realize you're doing this in partnership. So instead of being led, they're in partnership with each other, moving like this ship forward together. Right. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense. And I've been in a number of scenarios in, in my life too, where sometimes it is the unexpected person that steps up, you know, and I, I love having that opportunity for people. I love not assuming that so-and-so because they, have this background or they went to this school or they did this thing that they're going to be the leader or they're somehow in line for a promotion or to be a mentor or whatever. I love the idea of seeing the people, you know, I've seen it many times, especially in real estate, right? Because it's not necessarily something you learn in school or, or whatever. Like there are people that rise to the top that on paper, maybe, maybe shouldn't be that person. So I really, uh, I think that's such one of the best things about our business, right? It doesn't, it's not because you did X, Y, and Z before, or, you know, it's. No, I see so many backgrounds and so many, you know, different paths that have brought people here. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about real estate because there's so much diversity in, in those pieces. Yeah. That's amazing. Perfect. Well, any last thoughts on uh, onboarding or hiring or recruiting talent? I think just to recap everything we talked about, it's super important that you have a plan and just at each step. And you're and if everything we've talked about sounds super overwhelming or you don't have any of these pieces in place, like just take a breath and put the first one in place. And the first one is a system for, you know, getting people in the door. So are you attracting them? Are you recruiting them? It doesn't matter which way they come in, but once they get to you, you need to have a, a bit of a process in place. And um, in that process, making sure that those that you're, you're saying no to are still being told no gracefully and at least being told no, that's important. And then the ones that you're saying yes to, having that plan. So just very quickly in our world, having the plan means over communicating with them from the start. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what's next. Here's when the training calendar is happening. Making sure that they know exactly what the expectations are as upfront and as early as possible. So they can plan childcare or plan whatever it is they need to move in their worlds to be able to accommodate those things. Um, so these are humans on the other side. And if we can remember we're in the people business first, I think it makes a really, really big difference. The other thing is that in our world, we try to wow them just like we would a client. These are independent contractors who are choosing to place their trust in our business to help them move to that next level. Or these are staff people that are choosing to place their trust in you know, their family's well-being in our hands. And so we have to make good on those things from the start. So we will do things like put together an onboarding gift and have that either delivered ahead or ready for their first day, depending on the seat. 
making sure that when they show up, their materials are ready or there's a place for them to sit. My best favorite story, which I'll tell you quickly, is that my very first day on the team, I really am truly sure they forgot I was coming that day. And so it was like this huge scramble to make sure that I had a desk and a place to sit. It was like a whole thing. And I remembered thinking like, who am I going to stay at this company? Or like and later when I told Jenny, I was like, okay, so when I made the decision to stay, I just need you to know no one will ever have the experience I had on my first day ever again. Okay. We're going to fix that. Like we got we to gotta do something about that. So have a plan. Have That's a plan. That's amazing. They didn't, have a, they didn't have a name tag waiting for you that said future COO. No, no, they definitely did not. In fact, I didn't realize this, but I brought in my first week of work, like a desk lamp and a plant and like a picture of my cute family. And the girl sitting behind me, who was a transaction coordinator at the time, who's now one of our like, top producing agents on the team she turned around and she was like what are you doing and I was like what do you mean I was nesting and she's like they just didn't do that they were used to change and things moving around so now sometimes when I walk around the office and I see that folks have nested and they this has become home it's a little like a bit of a pride point for me that people want they want to settle in here they want to be here because we treat them like we are excited to have them here and we continue to treat them well as we go. So have a plan and then be flexible on the plan. Audit the plan. It's okay if what something you tried bombs or doesn't work or like people are going to see the effort. They're going to appreciate the effort, but don't be afraid to stop and say, I'm so sorry that was a waste of time or I'm so sorry that didn't work or just pivot the next time. And, and make it better for the next group of people coming in. And then before you know it, you'll turn around and you'll be like, oh man, I have a process for all of these things. I have a plan. And then it just, it runs, but it takes time. So don't be afraid to put the plan in place and then pivot when necessary. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, that was such, such good info. And uh, it, it's always great to be with you, but I really appreciate you sharing with us today. Thanks, Lee. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy listening to Powering Real Estate, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. Subscribes and reviews help other people find us and allow us to keep interviewing top industry experts. If you're looking for a customized solution for your follow-up boss account or wanting a free assessment of your account, visit AmplifiedSolutions.com. There you can also find free resources and link with us. 